with your permission, Lord Jesus, as we come into your presence, Lord, tonight, we ask you for grace, the grace to make a renewed encounter with our Lord. Every time of prayer is an opportunity to meet our Lord once again, called by him. And to do this, we can, as we often do, we can take an encounter that we find in the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to be recorded for our prayer, for edification. And the encounter that we can look at tonight is our Lord's meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. And Lord, we ask for the grace to understand this and to try to draw lessons from it for our own life so that, in a way, her encounter with you can be kind of a model, kind of a model pattern for our own encounter with our Lord. He had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sikar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And before, Lord, we can start considering in your presence, your interaction with this, with this lady, with this woman, we can consider a point that St. Josemaria made uh, when reflecting on the same passage. He drew a lot from the scene, just from the setting. He drew a lot of comfort from it and a, and, and a kind of a great appreciation for our Lord's humanity. Why? Because we see here, Lord, that you're tired and you're thirsty. Wearied as he was with his journey, he sits down beside the well. Give me a drink. And these details of our Lord's thirst and his, and his tiredness, in a certain sense, they open up a whole, a whole new panorama or vista of our Lord's humanity that our Lord, when God became man in Jesus Christ, truly became one of us. And he had the whole human experience. He didn't exempt himself from anything that we go through in living our human life. And so he was tired, he got thirsty, he got hungry. We see him frustrated with the people around him. Right? Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long do I have to put up with you? He upbraids his apostles for not understanding things. Right? If you don't understand this, how can you understand any of the parables? Without sinning, <laughs> our, Lord, our Lord does this without sinning. He's a man like us in all things but sin. Nevertheless, he finds the defects of others difficult to bear. We see our Lord sad. He weeps over Jerusalem when he sees the city in the distance. And he considers how much he loves its inhabitants and how dear the city is to God's heart. And on the other hand, he considers how little they're corresponding to him and that they're heading in the wrong direction. He weeps. He's moved by it. Sad. 
In the agony of the garden, Lord, we see you almost crushed with anxiety. My soul is so sorrowful, troubled even to death. My soul is troubled even to death. Our Lord experiences fear, anxiety, death, in a certain sense, illness, right, in those last hours of his life. And so St. Josemaria drew from this that our Lord is relatable, right? Our Lord gets us. When we're tired and we're a little bit depressed and we're a little bit anxious or fearful, even if we feel guilty, right, our Lord knows what that's like. Without sinning, he became sin for our sake. The incredible line of sacred scripture. He became sin for our sake. Our Lord experienced what it was like to be separated from God as a sinner, even though he wasn't a sinner, even though he didn't deserve it. And so that made it even harder for him to experience. It almost kills him in the agony of the garden, to experience sin. And so, Lord, when we come to you in our prayer, we come to someone who understands us because you've lived all those things. He doesn't just understand us because he's God, and as God, he knows everything, but kind of like abstractly, theoretically. He understands us because he's lived this human life, which means that in our prayer, we should be an open book with Jesus, right? To come to him and pray as we are. Sometimes we use our bad moods as an excuse not to pray. Well, no, I'm angry. Well, I need to pray and go tell our Lord why I'm angry, why I'm upset. I'm sad. Well, Lord, this is why I'm sad. This is why I'm upset. And he gets it. He understands. He's been there. Lord, I'm frustrated with this or that. Lord, I'm anxious about this or that. A man like us in all things but sin. Thank you, Lord, for your humanity, for your being like us. Help us, Lord, to respond with this confidence that we can approach you. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And then John explains, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And if we move this question to the theological level, how is it that God asks a drink of a creature? God in Jesus Christ, you, Lord, who in your divinity lack nothing, need for nothing, want nothing, because you're all perfection from all eternity. How is it that God can need anything from a creature? And on the cross, our Lord says this again, I thirst. And they give him a little bit of vinegar to drink. And here he says, give me a drink. And the thirst of Jesus is, is fine on the human level, of course. It's a thirst for water. He's thirsty. On the cross, too, it's a thirst for hydration, for water. But the church and the saints have always seen in the thirst of our Lord, both at, on the cross and in, at, at, at the uh, well, a deeper meaning. What does Jesus thirst for on the cross? St. Josemaria says he thirsts for souls. He thirsts for souls. St. Teresa of Calcutta says something similar. He thirsts for love. He thirsts for your love, for my love. 
And theologically, that's very profound, right? That God, who from all eternity doesn't need anything, when he creates a free being, a free being who he loves, he runs the risk of lacking. He runs the risk of desiring something that he can't force us to give him. The one thing that God could ever need is your free response to his love, my free response to his love. He can't force us to love him. And so he thirsts for that. He thirsts for souls. He thirsts for love. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in the section on prayer, which is very beautiful, comments on this passage, and it says that, you know, our thirst for God, our thirst for prayer, Lord, our thirst for intimacy with you, our desire to know you more, to be with you in prayer. The Catechism says, commenting on this passage, um, it says that our thirst for prayer is the result of God's thirst for our prayer, right? God's thirst for our prayer for us. And that makes sense, right? If God thirsts for our love, well, it's almost like he has to thirst for our prayer because how do we love God if we don't pray? How can I say I love God if I don't pray, if I don't find time like we're doing now, Lord, thank you for this grace, being here with you. If I don't find time for this, right, for adoration, to make God the center of my attention, the center of my thoughts, the center of my focus, even my emotions. If I don't do that regularly, if possible every day, at least once a day, how can I say I love God? But Jesus says, the greatest commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We have to love God with everything we have. And of course, we do that by primarily by doing his will and doing things for him and with him. But if we never give him our full attention, how can we do those other things for him or with him? If we never make you look the center of our focus in a regular way, love you in our prayer, can we truly say that we love you with our whole heart, with our whole soul, with our, or even that we're trying to love you with our whole heart, with our whole soul, with our whole mind, with all of our strength? And so Jesus asking this woman for a drink is God asking us for our attention, for our prayer, desirous of our love. Do I make time for prayer? And when we go to God and uh, ask, he asks us for something, he's ready to give us so much more. This is what happens in this dialogue with this lady. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Right? God is ready to give you the gift of God, God himself, and living water. God is ready to give you so much more than he's asking from you. If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him for everything and for himself. And so the, this woman is intrigued, right? Jesus takes this human conversation about water and he uses it as an opportunity to entice this lady, right, into wanting a new life, wanting a conversion, wanting a life with God, wanting grace. There's a line in one of the prophets in the Old Testament. It says, you seduced me, Lord, 
and I was seduced. Can't remember what prophet is, but it's very provocative, right? You seduced me, O Lord, and I was seduced. And we see this a little bit here with our with our Lord and this lady, right? He just like starts talking to her and then starts like giving her a glimpse of how awesome life would be if she converts, if she believes. And she takes the bait. The woman said to him, she's like, living water, that sounds good. The gift of God. So she's intrigued. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And Jesus takes, you take, Lord, her interest, her intrigue that you've piqued, and you bump it up even more to another level. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Give me this water, Lord, that I may not thirst, that my desiring may end that I may be fulfilled if you knew the gift of God. And so the woman has taken the bait and she's on the hook. And now the big test comes. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. Right before you can enter into this new life, have this living water flowing up out of you as a source of life for yourself and for others, before you can enjoy this new life, the gift of God and receive God, you have to convert. We have to remove obstacles between you and God. Before you can enjoy the living water, we have to help you stop drinking Mountain Dew, right? You have to shift uh, where you're getting your happiness from, right? where you're seeking your pleasure, where you're finding your rest, your energy, what you're living for. You have to convert. And to convert, you have to be truthful about your life, about what, you know, where you're looking for love, where you're looking for happiness, where you're, where you're failing God, where you're lacking trust. And so Jesus invites her to be sincere with him. Go call your husband and come here. She's asking for the truth about herself. What's keeping you between, what's keeping you from God? The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you have now is not your husband. This you said truly. Right, now this woman is at a great crossroads, right? Because our Lord has brought up to her uh, precisely the source of her shame. And why is she alone in the middle of the day with Jesus at this well? Well, Scripture scholars wisely tell us, well, it's the sixth hour. The sixth hour is like the middle of the day. It's the hottest part of the day. And so any woman who is wise goes to the well early in the morning while it's still cool or later at night when the sun is down and things are cooling off. And so she's in, she's in this spot in the middle of the day when no one else is there because she's ashamed. Right, because everyone knows her sinful situation and she doesn't want to hear them talking about her. 
see them looking at her. And our Lord, in, in his desire to convert her, to have her live this new life, to enter into this incredible life that he's painted, the gift of God, living water, eternal life, exposes her shame. It makes her face it. And so she's at a crossroads, right? She can either run away, as she's been doing, try to hide herself from others, from the opinion of others, knowing the truth about her. Or she can kind of accept it and stay with him. And that's what she does. In accepting it, she, she accepts the truth of her situation, and that implicitly is a conversion. And it's very beautiful to see, Lord, how you appreciate her sincerity. She doesn't start by telling him the whole truth. She tells him, like, the truth, but it's just a part of the truth. I have no husband. But that's an opening, right? That's an opening for Jesus to, uh, to work with, right? Just that little bit of sincerity, that little bit of vulnerability. This is, what's really, this is what's really keeping me from God, from more. And Jesus says, no, what's really keeping you is these five husbands and now living with a guy who's not your husband. And she says, okay. And she stays with the conversation. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, right? I don't really don't want to, I don't care about me anymore. I want to learn more about him and God. I perceive that you are a prophet. And I'm talking to a prophet, someone who speaks the words of God. And we know, Lord, that to talk to you in our prayers, to talk to God, the word of God. I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you said that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. And thank you, Lord, thank you, thank you, because we are part of this prophecy. And our Lord is talking about us. We worship in spirit and truth because we've been baptized into Jesus Christ, because we have the true faith of the church, saving faith. The Father seeks our worship, and we're here to do it. And so we say, Adoremus in eternum santissimum sacramentum, I shall adore you forever, O most blessed sacrament, because God is here. But to worship you, Lord, in spirit and truth, it has to be the truth, and it has to be the truth about myself. And it has to be in spirit, which means that God's spirit, right, has to be the guiding spirit and force of my life. And it's, and it's easy for us to make God and our faith just another component of our life that props up our own self-image and our own self-project. And we're not really living with the spirit of God. We're living with our own spirit. And we take the greatness of the faith and we make it just another thing in our life because we think it's true, yes, and we think we need to have religion, yes, and it's all it's good. Um, and it helps us to kind of 
seem in control, but really we're like the duck, you know, the ducks in the water floating, but underneath his legs are going like this, just trying to, you know, stay calm. And part of our legs moving like this is like, okay, all my, I have to be a good Catholic and have the right things and not get confused. And we never jump off into God. If you knew the gift of God, living water, because in the end we're in control and we control him, your faith. And the truth about what's keeping us from God is also the truth about what's keeping us from, from living in spirit, right? And worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so we have to ask ourselves, Lord, well, what are my five husbands? What are my five husbands, Lord? And what is the uh, guy that I'm living with now? Because you're asking her and you're asking us to live off of you, to live off the gift of God, off of living water. And yet we all drink Mountain Dew. And so this woman very clearly is on, like we all are, on a kind of a merry-go-round or a Ferris wheel, right? It's like, oh, one husband, ah, didn't work. Okay, another husband, ah, didn't work. Fourth husband, guy I'm living with now. It's like, you know, when is she going to learn? Our Lord's saying to her, get off the Ferris wheel. We all have our Ferris wheel. It could be some sinfulness some habit that we don't ever really break. It could be some lack of trust. It could be some critical spirit. Right? We all have that thing that we kind of go back to. Proverbs says the dog returns to its vomit. We return to our sins. We never learn. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe, you know, it's been 40 years, but maybe this year <laughs> it'll work, you know. It's like the poor uh, Bills fans, you know. We'll see what happens. They got a good team this year. I don't know if they'll break through. Anyway, they lost four Super Bowls in a row. God, depressing that is. Can you imagine that? Anyway, and so what's you know what's my Ferris wheel, Lord? Where? I, what do I need to change? Let go. The woman said to him, "I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things." Jesus said to her, "I who speak to you am He." Right? I am Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the Anointed One. It's over. Your sins are done if you want them to be. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but none said, what do you wish or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. St. Jose Maria commented on this passage saying that we see here our Lord's refinement in living chastity, living holy purity, that it wasn't usual for him to be alone talking with a woman. And so when the apostles come back, they're surprised by it because our Lord had certain rules of refinement. He protected, he wasn't impure at all, but he protected even the, even the uh, image of his purity. It's a reputation for chastity. And yet, even though he's speaking with this woman alone, he's doing it in such a way that's so clearly pure and refined and chaste that they don't, you know, they don't question it. But none said, what do you wish or why are you talking with her? They can see that he's totally in control. And this is a good area, Lord, for us to examine in our day and age, which is so hypersensual, pornographied, in which so many have lost any sense of self-control or 
the dignity of sexuality, we have to look and say, well, am I refined? Or am I compromised? And Lord, if I'm compromised, well, I need to cut it out, right? If anything is in a clear occasion of sin and I'm in it unnecessarily, well, then I need to cut it out for the love of God. Right? The seers of Fatima said, well, more souls go to hell. And they saw a lot of souls going to hell because of sins of the flesh than any other sin. And Lord, the positive side, the, the, the world needs chastity. The world needs purity. The world needs spiritual dignity and self-control. People who know what their souls are worth and what their bodies are worth and the souls and bodies of others. The eleven of purity, dignity, manliness, St. Josemaria would put it, a crusade of manliness. And Lord, we want that. It's positive. It's a positive struggle. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples besought him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him food? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Lord, we see here your hunger. You hunger for the will of God to be done. Your food is to do the will of him who sent you. You thirst for our love, for our prayer, for our souls, and you hunger for your Father's will to be done. And you make that hunger ours. Because we're members of your body, because you're living in us, through me, through me, Lord, in each one of us, you hunger that your Father's will be done, that his kingdom come. And that's a great question for our prayer on a recollection, on a retreat, any day. In our prayer, Lord, what do you want of me? What is your will for me? What do you want me to do? And perhaps better than what do you want me to do, because when we ask what you want, you know, what do you want me to do, we're so activist and we're, we're so action-oriented that we can think of a lot of things, right? That maybe he wants me to do this and that, and some of them might not be that important or necessary. And the greater work of God is something maybe not that he wants us to do externally, but something that he wants from us. What do you want from me, Lord? What do you want of me? And that might be something harder than the hardest thing that we'd have to do externally, right? Like to give up some attachment or to let go of some way of thinking or to break some internal habit. Right? What is the thing? This is a good way, I think, of thinking about maybe something that needs to change. But what's the thing that drives me absolutely crazy? And if you have something in your life that drives you absolutely nuts, right, when it happens or when you think about it or when it doesn't happen, that's a sign that, that you know, there's something off in my soul, right? I'm too attached to that thing or that outcome or that idea or that situation. Right? At least in that, it doesn't mean that we don't work to fix it or that it's, there's not a problem, but at least in that, there's a lack of peace, there's a lack of trust in God. And those are very hard things to, uh, to let go. I mean, hard but easy with God's grace. If we really trusted God's goodness, we would just say, oh, fine, no problem. Yeah, I'll work on it. But I'm not going to, God doesn't want me to lose my peace over anything. 
My peace I leave to you. And so maybe that's what you want from me, Lord, something to recalibrate, to let go, to put in perspective with faith in you. And then we'll be like this woman, right? This woman goes, bam, like that, from being ashamed, from being a sinner, to being a great apostle. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And so this woman goes from hiding from the people because she's ashamed of her situation to going and telling people that he knew everything about her. Right? She, goes, she, she ends up, Lord, going around and telling people, he knew about my situation, the thing that I was so ashamed of and was hiding from you people because of. Now she's telling people about it. And so she's gone from caring what they think so much that she's kind of like, you know, cowering and going out in the middle of the day to hide in her shame, to being totally shameless about it. He knew it all, told me everything. She doesn't care what they think anymore because she's over her sin. She's met God. She's been saved. Lord, how much by contrast do I care what people think to protect my image? We go to Our Lady. Then we ask her, our mother in heaven, help our prayer, our encounter with Jesus, be real and be transformative. Help it open up to us the things we need to show him so that he can heal them. And then, therefore, give us this gift of God, this new life of love, of charity, of trust, this spring of living water welling up to eternal life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.